Hello and welcome to episode 115 of Page One, the Writer's Podcast. I'm Marco. And I'm Tarek. And thanks for joining us on the podcast where we like to speak to writers of all kinds about their writing journeys, find out how they got into the industry and try and get as many hints and tips from them as possible. And uh, we've been on a bit of a crime run with our guests yeah. recently. We had the brilliant Chris Whitaker and the award-winning... Janice Hallett. <laughs> I'm pausing there go. because it's never gonna let that go. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> uh, because Janice Janice was in the same category as Tarek, and, um, and she wrote the much much better book. Which is... <laughs> but but at those awards, we're continuing that theme because at those awards, one of the hosts was this week's guest. Yeah, this week we are chatting with Victoria Selman, who was the is the host of the Crime Writers Association Award. She's also the host of Crime Time FM or co-host of Crime Time FM, and uh, she's written a number of crime novels. Her latest is the kind of the book of the moment. Really, it's kind of everywhere you look right now. Truly, darkly, deeply, and uh, it's a really fantastic book about a uh, relationship uh, between a serial killer and their and their child. And so it's a really mm-hmm. kind of uh, interesting take on. The serial killer crime story. Yeah, definitely. And it's only been out uh, at the time of release of this episode um, a couple of weeks, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. already in the bestseller charts. The film rights have been sold. So it's, it's, it's been a massive success. Yeah. And um, yeah, it, you know, obviously we speak to Victoria about that that book and where, where the idea came from. Um, and also talked to her about her previous books because this is her fourth book. Um, but it's the first book with a new publisher, so we talk about you know switching publishers, switching agents, yep. and how that happens, and how that's got a big step to take for writers because it, it's so difficult to find these these people yeah, in the first place when you're starting you're out. There, yeah. Exactly, yeah. But sometimes it can be the right move. That's the thing. So, um, yeah, it's it's a really good chat, um, and uh, she also talks about her planning process and things like that. So we'll get straight into it after a quick advert for our writer's notebook, but then we'll be back at the end of the podcast with a bit more chat and to let you know about next week's guest. But for now, on with the podcast. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is... Right. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down, or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying, or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realized you need to plan how to let people read it. So we included a section relating to submissions. Each one is designed for one project. Whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. I always start these podcasts with the same question, which is, did you always want to be a writer? And I'm going to guess your answer here because I saw on Twitter today that uh, one of our previous guests, Vasim Khan, 
was saying that you were plagiarizing books when you were three. <laughs> so, swine, swine so, as he is. Yes, so, he said that. so I suspect that you did always want to be a writer. I did. And it wasn't from when I was three, may I add, Vasim. Um, yes. I. You know what? I think so many of us, as I was saying to Vasim, I think who end up writing now, we've always wanted to write. And if we haven't always wanted to write, we've certainly always loved books. So yeah. that's it's always started from there. For me, though, I did always want to be a writer. And I wrote my first very much inverted commas at novel when I was seven. So not three, but seven. And this was a two A four side novel. But to my mind, it was a novel and it was going to be published and I was going to be well famous by the time I was eight. And none of that happened. And I think it's got lost somewhere in my parents' garage, probably. What was it about? It was, well, this is where Vasim said it was plagiarized, or maybe I, I said that to him. It was, I reckon it was a ripoff of Narnia without me realizing I was actually <laughs> doing that. Um, <laughs> and it was a world of walking, talking dogs. And there was an evil witch who was a bit like the white witch in Narnia, I suppose, who turned people to stone. Although there's no, it was ice. In mine, it was ice. So oh, it wasn't completely that seems far enough removed, I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think so. I think, yeah. Vasim <laughs> has maligned me big time. <laughs> Um, and then I read that you you didn't write again for about thirty years after that first. About success. after the first break. well, sort of. I mean, I you know I wrote little bits and pieces as I was you know in my teens and you know as we all do in notebooks, but nothing mm-hmm. proper. But and I think it was funny. Life. I always wanted to be a writer, but life sort of got in the way, and you forget your dreams, don't you? As yeah. you have paychecks, or rather, you need paychecks, I should say, and rent <laughs> yeah. to pay, and all those other yeah. things. So I left uni and I got a job, and and I dedicated my time to that and, and seeing my friends and everything else and I I read I always read um but I didn't write and um then one day I have two children now and my youngest child was two and was just starting preschool actually you know just like an hour or so a day mm-hmm. um you know whatever and my husband and I was one morning and we were just having one of those silly chats about what would you do if you won the lottery and I said I would be a writer and he looked at me and he said you're not working at the moment and I wasn't, it was true. I'd, I'd, I had my own business at that point, but I'd press pause on it so I could look after the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and you have a couple of hours in the day when Joey's at nursery. Why don't, why don't you write? Why don't you do it? What's holding you back? And I thought, that's true. And it's weird. It had never occurred to me that actually I might be able to do it. And I straight away enrolled in a creative writing course at the City Lit, which I can only say changed my life because suddenly it put into focus a dream that had really only ever been a, a hazy fantasy. And I don't I don't know about you guys. I don't think you can teach somebody how to write. You certainly can't yeah. teach them storytelling, but you can teach them techniques. Mm-hmm. And I learned techniques that I'd never really thought about. Silly things like, for example, avoid similes. Make a simile a metaphor if you want to use one don't don't use adjectives don't use adverbs let the verb speak to itself concrete nouns are more create more of a picture than an adjective will things like that that certainly hone the way you write and polish it and that was really interesting but the other thing that the city lit creative writing course gave me that I'd never had before was critiquing so I'd always critiqued other things I mean I did English A level so obviously in that sense, I was very much looking at style and what did and didn't work and why something worked. And of course, as readers, we nearly all, I, I certainly, I'm sure you do as well, read with um, an analytical hat on. I mean, how particularly if it's a book you've enjoyed, one of the things I'll think about afterwards is why have I enjoyed it? What is it about the book that's that's really transported me the way it has? So I've always done it to an extent. But sitting in a in a group and having my own work critiqued and critiquing in a very technical sense other people's work teaches you so much about how you're writing so that really transformed I can't really call it my writing because like I said I hadn't really written properly before but it did transform the way I approach writing did did it did it also help with with um you know sort of habit forming I guess because that's a big thing as well especially if you're yeah if you're starting out or on a project that you want to write or something Mm. it's always very easy to think I need to plan this a bit more I need to research this a bit Mm. more I'll do it tomorrow I'll do it tomorrow but sometimes these courses it seems from speaking to other guests can help because you have to have something done so it kind of gets you into that habit so clever and I hadn't thought of it like that but yes it must have done because I had to produce a piece of work every week and it was only ever a short piece I mean this this was very much sort of way it was called ways into creative writing so it's very much at the starting point but yes it meant every every 
day I was having to sit down and, and work and edit my own work and polish it up and have it ready and be ready for criticism. And of course, we know now from even as published authors, criticism is, is a part of what we have to deal with. And it's brilliant. I, I always say to people, I love criticism if I can do something with it, because then that makes better writers. So it opened my eyes to that as well. And from there, I started writing short stories, like I was saying, and I got them published in magazines and began to build up in my head a portfolio so that when I eventually wrote my first novel that I was um, sending to an agent, I was able to say, and I've been published here and I've been published there because it's that horrible catch 22 with an agent, isn't it? Where you need an agent to be published, but to get an agent, you almost have to have had a publishing track record at some point. So it was a, it was a good way for me to get something like that under my belt and that's and, how I started out. And and I mean that, that that's interesting because mm. yeah, we often ask, you know, how did you find your agent? And um, yeah, having obviously that is it can be important to have if you have been able to be published short stories mm. in magazines or or wherever. Mm. Um, but not everyone does. I mean, how? No. But you need something, I think, that can that would that would draw attention to you in a, yeah. out of the out of the big you submission do, the pile because of my gosh that slush pile I won a competition as well so I always think that's that's important and the other thing I did and Tarek of course having just been shortlisted for the new blood dagger and huge congratulations on that because it's a massive achievement um but you'll I'm sure agree that the daggers are a fabulous way of getting noticed so yeah. for listeners who don't know this the crime writers association the CWA has um Tarek correct me where I go completely wrong here because no doubt I will but they have um a set of awards which obviously are the daggers and uh, one of the awards that they have is um for unpublished writers called the debut dagger and for the debut dagger you submit certainly in my day you submitted three chapters of um your unpublished novel plus a synopsis um and Hundred people, hundreds of people from all over the world enter it. I mean, it's it's hugely prestigious, and because of that, it's a great way to get noticed. And my first novel, which later became Blood for Blood, which was the first novel in my series, which mm-hmm. is what I've written before my latest novel, Truly Darkly Deeply, um, was shortlisted for the debut dagger. And on the back of that, I was able to get an agent, and I believe that that was a big reason that I was able then as well to get a publishing deal later. That was something she could really flag up. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that really competitions are a brilliant way I think for new writers because they're not they're not closed off and you have to be unpublished so you are you're not competing with people who already um, have helped me out guys what am I trying to say (laughs) no well that's right already published but also I think what what that does is I suppose in a way if if, Mm. you know often agents are referred to as as the sort of gatekeepers of, of the industry and in a way if you can get onto a shortlist or win a competition like that Mm. then it's it's flagging up that other people have judged your writing to be good enough Um, yeah so so i I think again that will obviously help attract agents and in in due course publishers as well i mean so uh, having done that did Mm. did it take you long to find an agent no it didn't it didn't but i would say actually about agents and i think this is interesting because the agent i signed up with then who um submitted my Zebra McKenzie series I'm actually not with her anymore I moved right. agents and um you know very amicable we got on very very well but our working styles weren't weren't really aligned and it made sense to me to move um and I think that's something as well that is an option for writers that maybe we don't always talk about and it's yep. the wheels always turning in so many different ways not just that we can be in one place at one point in terms of our writing and then suddenly I mean, my God, things changed for me. I mean, my Zeba McKenzie series, you know, it did, it did very well with where it was. But now I'm going to boast of it here because I just, I'm, I'm <laughs> on a glow. I'm sorry. I'm on Go such a glow on this. <laughs> um, I discovered a couple of days ago that my new novel, Truly Darkly Deeply, has been, um, it's it's a Sunday Times bestseller. Fantastic. And that, thank you so amazing. much. Sorry, this is me massively boasting now, but <laughs> I cannot tell you what a dream that was for yeah. me. I mean, yeah. just you know, an extraordinary, I mean, a year ago, I wouldn't have believed that that was possible. And it just, I think it shows that at any level, your things can change, the tides can change yeah. for and, you. And there's that point, isn't there, where I think, especially when you're starting out, and you're going to get a foot in the door, and you have an agent mm. and someone to, when you know how hard it was to get to that point, and the thought yeah. of chucking that away and starting again, is kind of, you kind of think, well, why would I do that? I'll, 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 I'll just stay here. And yeah. that might not always be the best 
thing for your career as a writer sometimes you do need to say actually i'm gonna yeah we're not working out together and you can it can be very amicable and stuff but you do say mm-hmm. actually i need to go somewhere else where um i think so well we were talking about this before we hit record Gen- you know because i know that it's something that we're we're both you know have, have thought about at different points and i think it's it's really important as a writer to always to be asking yourself what is it that i'm wanting where yeah. where do i want to be and you don't have to be pigeonholed you don't have to be stuck somewhere and and you can take charge of your own career at whatever stage even before it's been published where do i want to be what is my goal and to believe that you can get there yeah. I, th- I suppose i suppose the thing is especially if you're not if you haven't yet been picked up or mm. something like that the, the struggle to get yeah. picked up is is huge um, it's hideous it's let's be honest it's yeah. the most hideous time mm-hmm. it's i mean they call it an emotional roller coaster it's not it's an emotional descent into hell <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 but it is i mean and the rejection and we've all been rejected countless mm. times i mean from the from the very greatest you know i'm sure lee child was rejected and you know all the people who've gone on to send millions and millions of books it happens to all of us and i truly believe it makes us stronger actually as horrible as it, as it is at the time, it gives us that thick skin that we do need because we will always get bad reviews. Yeah. We we will never, any of us, always get everything that we want. Yeah. And that those first rejections, I think, are the first learning things on the on the on the path of learning that to, just to deal with that is part of the the life of being a writer. But but having gone through that, I think mm. it's it, it's you know it's a very brave step. I think having gone through mm. that, found someone. Mm. whether it be agent or publisher or whatever and then deciding this isn't quite right so I'm going mm. to effectively I'm going to go back to the start again yeah, yeah. Uh, and it was scary uh, you know it's it's a very brave move to do that but obviously it can work out it can and I, I actually think as well when you're honest with yourself about where things are and where you want to be and what isn't isn't working you can be brave and actually being brave pays off it's what doesn't pay off is when we have the fantasy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I haven't managed with this publisher to become a New York Times bestseller and get a multi-million pound film deal and da 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 therefore my publisher's not the right one. Mm-hmm. Well, hang on, <laughs> there may be other things. <laughs> well, so it's, it's, yeah, it's being objective and honest with yourself, I think. I mean, let's let's chat about your, your first book series then. That was the Zeba McKenzie yeah. stories, which Blood for Blood was the first one, which That's you brought right, out. Yes. And that was one you won the debut dagger with. Shortlisted, yeah. Shortlisted, shortlisted for, sorry, debut. shortlisted for yeah and um i read i think it was on your website perhaps that you talked about inspirations behind Mm. behind that series and you mentioned people like lee child yeah because he writes such kind of movie-like stories that you can visualize in your head and thomas harris because of the characters yeah and you know was that is that stuff that you've always enjoyed reading growing up was that stuff that you've always no i i grew up reading you know what in my teens it's funny because my kids are teens now and i'm looking at what they're reading and it's it's um very different to me (laughs) adrian mole is is not jane austen (laughs) i was um i was obsessed with 19th century literature back in my teens actually so that's what i was reading very different to what I read now and I graduated into crime I don't know when I, but I, I love all sorts of I love all sorts of books yeah. but you know my big influence actually both for the Zebra McKenzie series and Truly Darkly Deeply my latest novel is actually Mindhunter mm-hmm. which um yeah. I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix yeah, show fantastic. or fantastic Cancelled before it's time I'm still angry there's no season three of that well show. Ha ha ha! Watch this space because actually, I, and I'll tell you about this in a second. But I was talking to the author, and it sounds oh. like there may be a season three. So oh, fingers fantastic. and toes well, that's... crossed for that. Oh, yeah. But um, but mind, and actually, I interviewed him um recently Brilliant. on on uh, Crime Time FM, which is a, a podcast platform we we um host, and that was brilliant. But anyway, Mind Hunter was a it was a massive inspiration for me. So for those who don't know, um, the author was uh, the founder of the Behavioral Analysis Unit, the FBI. And this book slash now Netflix series is all about the inception of um, the Behavioral Analysis Unit and the early cases and the development of profiling, which I find fascinating. You know, I, I, I find the criminal psyche absolutely fascinating. What makes people behave the way they do? Mm-hmm. Um, this idea in Mindhunter that what plus why equals who, I think is extraordinary. And those are all things that, that really do feed into my work. Yep. So huge influences. And am I right in saying that when you first wrote um, Blood for Blood, you wrote it as uh, from a male's point of view? Yes, you gosh, you have done your homework. <laughs> yes, I did. I wrote it from the male's perspective and I showed it to somebody and I'm like, mm, yeah, it just doesn't seem very authentic 
why don't you try it from a female's perspective? So I thought, all right, and I did. And actually it flowed much more easily. But by then I was a little bit in love with my male character. So I made him the love interest. (laughs) (laughs) Kept him in in my way. (laughs) No, I was just going to say, and obviously we were speaking about this a bit before um, we started recording the podcast, because Mm. once it got picked up, um, it got published. But then the other two books in the series, well, certainly the second book in the series was published very quickly after it. I mean, did you have that written already did you have I did I did and I think that's possibly why it was published so fast um in retrospect I personally would have had a longer gap but Mm -hmm. our publishers I don't think we should we can second guess our publishers they must have data we don't have um and the other the next one was obviously it took longer to come out because I hadn't written it yet yeah okay so so what what is your kind of writing style then what's your kind of process do you sit down and try and do like hours per day or no i never do that i don't set myself targets at all yeah. i have very detailed planning though so i i spend a long time on the planning stages not yeah. not chapter by chapter in the way that i know some very organized people do but more the shape of the novel so yeah. i have i have a whole shape and i know it's almost if i read my plan it's almost like reading a very condensed version of the novel yeah you could you yeah. could get the story from it um and I describe Are you talking it like pages or no. no? Um, so I I love Save the Cat. I don't know if you guys okay, ever yeah. use that. Mm-hmm, so yeah. Save the Cat is actually for screenplays, but it talks about the beats in a screenplay. Mm-hmm. How you have, for example, your opening image, and then you're setting the scene, and then your catalyst moment, and da di da da. So I I basically plan according to those Save the Cat beats, um, and I find it gives the novel a, a structure, and it means that I never have what what they refer to as a saggy middle mm-hmm. um and it just it keeps that pace and momentum all the way through and i never i never sit there thinking oh god what should happen next bringing a man with a gun i mean that 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 yeah, isn't yeah, an issue yeah. for me um but what i do like as well is actually i love this part so i have i always call it my roadmap i know exactly where i'm going but every now and then there's a cafe or a nice view i want to stop off along the way and i don't know it's going to be there until i get there and that's where the other part of my mind I suppose is working as I'm writing um so I'm not a pantser mm-hmm. but I do sometimes allow myself to fly yeah it's nice to have that kind of surprise little element because otherwise you get bored mm. I think if you know exactly where it's going and it's and there's no there's nothing to surprise you know do you think so I don't know I for me that, I quite yeah, like a lot of people say that for me I don't feel bored I feel in control because I know where the story's going yeah and because I haven't planned inch by inch of the road it means that i have the creative juices still going so i know how i'm telling the story and actually for me the telling the story is the bit i love or um there's a lot of sleight of hand in my novels um there's a lot of always twists and and that kind of thing and of course for a twist to be good you when you go back it has to be obvious yeah. like if you read back after yeah. like, oh, of course yeah. but I mean, at I, the time it has to be hidden so it's like playing with that is always a lot of fun for me yeah no I, i'm i'm quite similar in my process mm. to you and that I like to have that that I, I need in fact I need to know where I'm going um yeah. before I, I can really feel that I can start writing it because mm. um, I don't know my stories always end up being too complicated I'm, Tarek has yeah. them probably agree <laughs> but but um yeah. how long do you spend on the planning stage then you know what it's I don't have a fixed time it just it's as long as it needs to be mm-hmm. and actually truly darkly deeply was amazing for me because that it was a lockdown book so I was homeschooling the kids at the time and I guess my time therefore became very condensed and um I didn't spend that long planning it I forget how long it was but I certainly didn't spend long writing it it was maybe two and a half months until I I paused wow. halfway because my my dog died and she oh, was my angel thank you she was my faithful companion she was always with me and when she passed away it was terrible and my heart broke and I couldn't write for two months possibly but and this is where the plan helps I had a plan so I didn't mm-hmm. panic and think I'll lose the thread of the story I won't mm-hmm. know what to do so I was able when I was ready to to sit back down I knew exactly where I was going and I could just pick up straight away yeah. um and it worked for me. So that's that's a huge, for me, that's a huge benefit of the plan as yeah. well. There's never that point of hell. If something happens, I'm going to lose the thread and I won't be able to carry on. Yeah. And does that does that process then lead to a fairly clean first draft when you're done? 
Oh, I don't know. My first draft's ugly as hell. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wouldn't show anyone my first draft. Um, but it means that the structure is right, the story mm-hmm. is right, and then it's just a matter of tidying up. There's a lot of tidying up. I mean, I think one of my problems is I don't let um, scenes breathe enough. So when I go back over a draft, it'll be, oh, okay. Yeah. Just Actually, don't rush this. Just I do. Exactly. I, I think I'm, I'm similar. I, I find mm. that I kind of rush through stuff. My first mm. drafts are often quite short, and then I'll go through it back, and I'll have to expand. Yeah. Because I've kind of like the fact they've kind of just talk dialogue for two pages, and no one's done anything, and then I'm, I'm right. on to the next scene. And I need to go back and expand it all. Yes, um, that's exactly yeah. it. It's almost like my first draft is almost an extended plan. If you think about the way my yeah, plan is, yeah. mm. and then I'm just coloring in the lines and softening I mean, the the edges and that kind and, of thing and when you're writing when you're writing a series of books mm. how do you do planning for that do you do you plan ahead in terms of where book two book three is going to go or is that kind of yeah so i did so i had arcs so i knew what was going to happen to the character across the yeah. books but um each each book is very much a self-contained story so i wanted it to be able or for a reader rather to be able to pick it up at any point at any of the books and yeah. read them and enjoy them yeah. as standalones. But if they enjoyed them, then they could pick up the others as well. But Truly Darkly Deeply is very much a standalone. Yeah. Um, and therefore, I haven't had to worry about that. Well, nice. well, let's let's talk about Truly Darkly Deeply then. Do you, do you want to uh, tell us what it is about? What is it about? Oh, the dreaded elevator pitch. I know. <laughs> um, <laughs> how do you condense a, a novel into a few lines? Exactly. Okay. Um, so it is A Serial Killer's Legacy told through the eyes of his daughter and um 20 years after he's been imprisoned she still can't be sure whether he's actually guilty and the book opens with her receiving a letter from him from prison saying he's dying and he wants to meet so for her there's obviously the question will she finally get the answers that she craves um and if so will the truth set her free or will it bury her deeper? So it's very much, um, it's a serial killer thriller in many ways. I mean, this this killer is going around killing women who look exactly like her mother. So there's a personal element and also mm. he's committed the crimes. Um, it's told very much like a true crime story. So it's interspersed mm. with blog posts and podcast extracts and things like that. Um, but it's a serial killer thriller with a difference in that there's no blood in it really and it's almost not about the crimes i mean they're almost told at the periphery it's much more about the relationship and i'm much more interested in how loving a serial killer would affect you how how would finding out your father may or may not have been a killer affect you growing up how would it affect how you trust people again could you trust people again what about the guilt would you feel guilty that um Maybe if you'd realized sooner what was happening, that lives would have been spared. Um, and of course, because she can't be sure whether he's guilty, there's a whole other level of things for her to deal with as well. So how has it affected her growing up? Um, how can she ever move on from that point? Um, where, where, do, where do you go from that? From that, And hopefully gets the reader to ask themselves questions as well. How would I react in that situation? What would I do? Yeah, I'm I'm halfway through reading it right now, and it is it's fantastic. I'm loving oh. it, and it it has kind of it definitely gives me little shades of that kind of Hannibal Lecter, Starling relationship. That kind of like mm. a relationship with a monster who's yeah. Uh, but there's a there's it's not just a there's more than just a kind of hatred or like a, there's a kind of mm. it goes beyond that. And it's it's it's, it's it, I don't want to say too much, but it, it's fantastic. And oh, thank and you. what what was it after writing your Zipa McKenzie books? What was mm. it that made you see i want to write something new and i want to write something dark like this dark like this i think oh, my books are all pretty quite dark Derek, <laughs> quite is dark. the truth um but i first of all i think i was i needed a break from the series that's for sure you get to a point with the series where you're not that you're bored of your characters exactly but you you're not as fresh maybe as you were at the beginning of the series and i wanted to tell myself a different story and i don't quite know where this one came from um I'm a mother, so I suppose that's a, an aspect of it. The idea of how we affect our children and <laughs> turn that on the darkest level. Well, if, <laughs> if we were serial killers, how do we affect our children? Um, must have been a part. Um, 
I was very interested in the fact that there had been a lot of books written from the perspective of inverted commas, a serial killer's wife, but I could think of nothing that had been penned from the perspective of a child. I was also so very keen not to um, glamorize the killer in any way. So it seems to me that in a lot of serial killer thrillers, the killer is almost celebrated. Yeah. Somebody uh, had recently referred to it as a serial killer porn. Yeah. And there, there is that sense, isn't there, about almost getting off on the violence. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to shine a light away from that and onto the victims instead and just look at it from a different perspective and give them the spotlight. Yeah. And and it's it's a, a new publisher that you're with for tru- mm. Truly Dirtly Deeply, um, which presumably means a new editor and things like yes. that. So um, did you have to, you know, obviously you're building a new relationship there. Um are there different ways of working and and how have you found that with with different editors there are always different ways of working aren't there i guess um it's been fine the transition from that perspective but um so my editor is steph beerworth at quirkus and she actually preempted the book within 24 hours of this going off on submission so i knew she loved it it meant a lot to me to have an editor who loved my book um and who had a real passion from the very beginning she got it. She just got what I was trying to do with it. And so we never had those cross wire conversations. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is going to sound very corny, but it therefore meant that it wasn't a matter of um, having to navigate the, 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 you know, cross, cross metaphors, but we basically, (laughs) we basically were both going in the same direction and um, it was almost a very instinctive working process. So I really enjoyed working with her. And and how do you, how do you find getting notes back from editors and agents and and you know do you have that moment when you read it and if your first thoughts kind of well that's they've not understood it at all that's total crap no it's like, never it's never have they not understood it it's oh shit how <laughs> on earth do I go about implementing this because you just can't yeah. see it can you yeah. but then when you get down to it and you're like there's always a day I'm like oh my god I'm not going to be able to do it. And then it's take a pause, take a break. Okay, yes, I can manage this. And you get going and you just go tick, tick, tick off on the list and you're all right. Um, But actually, you know what? There weren't that many edits, actually. So there were no structural edits, which was amazing. Um, And it was much more about, um, we changed certain scenes a little bit. But fundamentally, but we changed the ending slightly as well. Um, She had a very, um, yeah, we took away part of the ending that I had. And it just, it really then sort of fine-tuned it. I think so that really worked and we changed we changed some scenes a little bit and actually just drew out the tension I think more in those so that just it just made it very easy it was a very yeah. straightforward edit and I was very grateful nice. and and obviously you've said it, it's had massive success it only came out last week I think and it, it, yeah it's, 7th uh, of July it yeah came out. it's already um on the bestseller lists and everything which is incredible um but one one thing that we sometimes ask our guests when that sort of success happens in a Mm. with a later book Mm. i mean are you able to identify what it is that you've done in this book that that the other books that you didn't do in the other books that, that, that have made a difference or do you just think it's a timing thing? Or oh something? God, I wish I could. It'd be nice to have that magic button. Yeah, I don't exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, think, I think it's about the stories that we tell. Some stories just hit it, don't they? Mm. And I felt this story very strongly. It was a very easy to, not, it's not always the case that a book that's easy to write is going to be a better book. But I think for me, this book and the way it flowed um, is maybe why it was in my mm. case a good book it, it does feel like a kind of like a personal book or it seems to come mm. from a, 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 quite a, like a you know it's a lot about it's about mm. the relationship between people and parents mm. and children and stuff and it feels like it and, and as you see i don't know whether that means necessarily that it's a better book or that it's going to resonate with the other people more but it feels like there's more truth in it yeah there's a more emotional recognize. heart maybe yeah, exactly, i agree yeah. i don't know it just there was something for me about this book it just it flowed it was a story i was burning to tell i mean i remember when i first thought about it and i have a thread of my writer friends and i text them i was like oh my god oh my god this book i've thought of a book and i i can't stop thinking about this mm-hmm. and they were like shut up and write it just go and write it <laughs> <laughs> so i did um so yeah i think i think some books set us on fire and this book set me on fire from the start. And and uh, obviously the f- film rights have been sold as well. 
yeah. which is very exciting. I mean, it is. Is, is there anything you can tell us about that at this stage? Well, the the company is Seesaw Films and they made The King's Speech, which is one of my very favorite films. So that's in itself very exciting. And like staff at Quirkus, they also just got the book. They got the heart of it. Mm. And I can't wait to see what they do with it. I mean, are you, you, I I, I know it's early days, but are you hoping to have any kind of involvement in it and or are you just happy to honestly i think i'd better not because i'm a complete control freak and if they let me anywhere (laughs) near it (laughs) it wouldn't be fair and truthfully i'm excited to see what they would do with it Mm -hmm. you know i'm i'm keen to see it through somebody else's eyes um maybe too because i suppose it's that's the hard side of when you give over your characters and your world to someone else then you have no control over it and you watch what they do with it yeah. I guess it could be quite tough or it can be quite exciting to see how they interpret it and change things. But you know what? Once it's a film, it's not my book, is it? It's not my baby. My baby is the one on the page. Yeah. yeah. And it's then it's just the idea. And where do you, like a reader, if, I, if you read my book, you're seeing a picture as I tell you the story, but it may not be the exact picture in my head. It's gone through your personal filters. Mm-hmm. So every reader of Truly Darkly Deeply is actually hearing also reading a slightly different story yeah. in that respect i also i also kind of think that the times i've seen film versions of books that have been written by the author both the script mm. and the book and i think thinking of gone girl basically which i mm. loved the book to yes. death, and then i saw the film version and for some reason i just didn't and i don't know if it was too too similar and i just i was kind of bored yeah. and knew where it was going and there was so yeah. much things about that twist which once you know where it's where it's what's happening Yes. kind of waiting for that to happen just to kind of move things on yes it, that's it was weird. so clever of you i i know exactly oh, what you mean yeah. no but you're absolutely right you're not sitting back and enjoying the film no because you're, you're like well, i know this, this is just set up i know this is I know, yeah exactly yeah and, and you can see how and, and i don't know how you get around that perhaps because so much of that book is about changing your perspective once you kind of realize yeah. what's happening and, um but yeah I, I kind of think sometimes you maybe do need to pass over to someone who's Mm. who knows what to change to make the film version work as opposed to the book and that's the point something can work well on the page and not on the screen and yeah. i'm not a screenwriter i'm not you know yeah. and it's not just a matter of taking out all the dialogue and putting that on the script there's a lot more that goes into it than that so yeah. i wouldn't have the skill set i don't think to be able to do it i'd love yeah. to go and see it if they cast someone handsome as matty i'd love to go <laughs> meet him um <laughs> don't let my husband hear me say that but um <laughs> Um, but you know, but beyond that, no, yeah. I think it's important just to to step back, actually. Yeah, no, I, I I think that's right, and and actually, you know, touching on what you were saying, Tarek, when you have a sort of slavish adaptation of a book, it mm-hmm. can often not work as a film because I it's, totally it's sticking agree. totally, it's sticking too closely to what was on the page, which isn't the format it was written for, really. You're not yeah. interpreting, are you? You're yeah. simply totally, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yes, it doesn't have any magic and, and, in it. And, and the problem as well is that the moment you've got with audiences, you get slated if you... I remember folk going mad about Harry Potter because he'd cut scenes out of the book that were yeah. in, in, in the film. But you think, well, everything can't be in there. You have, you've only got two hours. You pick and choose what goes in. And, yes. You know, and it's it must be really tough, I think, when you... And actually, this, you, I would say with yeah. those films in particular, the, the first ones were quite slavish to the book. Yeah, and, and the, the worst for it, are, I think. Or, you know the third one probably the best one yeah, um totally what you know it changed it about a bit and it was a it was a much mm. better film for it so i agree with you yeah um and of course but you're now um I, you, you mentioned earlier a massive massive podcast host of your own with crime time fm <laughs> um you know and you i know you've done podcasts previously to that as well so is that something that you've always enjoyed doing is that you've always quite liked i like the sound of my own voice i guess that's what my <laughs> kids would say <laughs> but how did the crime time fm come around, come around um crime time fm is a podcast i do with Bar- paul burke and barry forshaw and we each have our own shows on it so the platform is crime time fm and my show on it is called on the sofa with victoria and each week i interview each fortnight rather i interview a panel of guests on a particular theme or trend within crime fiction and it's been great fun and in terms of why do i enjoy it i mean yeah maybe i like my own voice but actually i don't because you know i can't stand to listen back to what i've recorded so i don't think i like my voice to oil um but i do like getting out of my cave i mean writing is terribly solitary yeah. isn't it mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice to connect and it's nice to discuss the things that we spend so long thinking about with other people who spend so long thinking about them. 
So I really do enjoy that. And and yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. But as well, do you think nowadays that, you know, there's a lot of books and we've spoken to previous guests who have said that a lot of the marketing burden for books um, falls mm. on the authors yeah, most definitely. of the time. Yeah. Um, so doing things like that as well probably mm. doesn't hurt either because if you've got a profile in that world, then that's that's going to help as well. You know what? I think it goes back to what I said to you before about being honest with yourself. So for me, it's something I really just enjoy. I love chatting mm. to people. Yeah. So it's a natural fit. And yes, we absolutely have to do our own marketing. And yes, it sucks. Um, <laughs> but if you weren't somebody who particularly enjoys chattering away or you find it stressful then I think it's probably the very worst thing you could be doing so I think actually any marketing you do has to play to your strengths so for example one of my strengths is not being technical in any way so you see all these people doing these wonderful things on book talk and Mm -hmm. Instagram cool videos and whatever I even try that (laughs) because I would just get laughed at (laughs) um so yeah find what you're good at and we're all good at something aren't we yeah exactly that's exactly right and um, and just recently, you did host the Crown Writers Association Awards with Barry as well. Yes. Um, you know how, and I thought you guys did a fantastic job. It was oh, very slick you. production. Um, Didn't how, quite trip in my heels, which I was convinced no, no. I was going to. <laughs> I mean, I mean, was that how, how did that come around? And was that incredibly nerve wracking to do? It was great fun to do. It came around. Gosh, I don't know. They Barry has hosted them year after year, so yeah. he's as we all know, a huge fixture in the crime writing world. I have to be careful how I say that and not say the crime world because that has a very <laughs> different connotation, doesn't it? Maybe it is um, as well. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Who knows? Maybe actually some of the stuff we write. But um, I think they wanted this year just to mix it up a bit and have a co-host. And um, he and I obviously know each other from Crime Time FM and we know the chemistry works. And that's always really important, isn't it? Yeah. Um, with any of these things to have good banter, good whatever with somebody. And so they asked me if I would do it and I said I would love to and I bought a nice dress and that was great um and it was fun it was really really fun I got COVID straight afterwards which yes. was less fun and I missed my launch party so grr. Oh, that's very annoying it was really really annoying but it was a fabulous event and um it was the first in-person daggers they've done since 2019 so mm. hugely exciting to be a part of that and so nice to see so many people as well, because, of course, we don't get to in the same way anymore, do we? Yeah, I mean, it's as you say as well, isn't it? Writing is so much of it yourself in a room with a computer. Mm. And um, I think in terms of, especially COVID times, and especially I think now coming out of it, you've got festivals, award shows, podcasts, mm. etc. It's so nice to be able to go and, yeah, actually speak, speak to people. Well, you know what, talking about festivals, and I hope it's okay to say this, but I think, you know, for, for your listeners, I know many of them are, um, are writers or people who are looking to get into writing. This mm-hmm. might be something they're very interested in. Capital Crime, which, um, as you know, launched, ha, huh, me and my maths, I can't remember when it launched now, but it was certainly pre-pandemic. And then, of mm-hmm. course, they hit yeah. pause. This year, Capital Crime is starting up again, and it's going to be held in Battersea Park in London. And there's a very particular thing, I think, a focus on people who want to be getting into writing. I don't quite know the details, but I know that there will be a lot going on for, for people um, people mm-hmm. who, who want support, people looking for agents, people looking to write. Um, and I think it's going to be a huge festival. I mean, I'm, I'm going to be appearing at it. So, hey, why wouldn't you want to come? But I'm joking. Um, but. I, there'll be, I mean, a lot of fabulous events with a, a lot of really big name authors as well. So great fun. But I think for um, new writers as well, there's a real opportunity there. So I definitely need to tap yeah, into. Yeah, I, I think especially it seems to me the the crime writing world especially has quite a good close community mm. of people. Um, you know, they, they, they seem to go to the, the various festivals and it is a good place for uh, aspiring writers, new writers to go and meet these people some are better than others I have to say so Crime Fest was the first one I went to and they did a pitch for an agent session and that was very good and I actually made friends there that I've kept and are now some of my very best writer friends and I think Capital will be the same Harrogate though I went as a as a new writer Mm. and I find that very daunting so there's no there's nothing really set up for new writers in the same way and you go into this tent and everyone seems to know each other and I just remember standing there like a lemon (laughs) feeling like a complete you know um, so I think it's pick your festivals carefully. And yeah. I, I had that feeling as a new writer as well, that I had to go to them all, mm-hmm. you know, and actually I don't think you do. I think you can pick and choose. And um, 
the right festival is worth its weight in gold. Yeah. And you don't have to go to every single day of every festival either. Yeah, Just one day can true. be enough as well. Yeah. That's 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 excellent advice. And obviously that's how you kind of got your break as well, I suppose, was doing a doing something, entering something or um, getting out your comfort zone a little bit. So actually Capital Crime, I went there as a debut and um, I, I did a game show. It was called Whose Crime Is It Anyway? <laughs> it was great fun. And it was there that Paul Burke was sitting in the audience. And do you remember I said Paul Burke yeah, is one of yeah. my co-hosts now on Primetime FM. And he saw me perform at this event at Capital Crime. And it was after that that he got in touch with me and he invited me to do the first Primetime debate. Right. And that was eventually yeah. led on to doing the awesome. podcast. So, yes, I mean, they're brilliant. And who would have known? Yeah, yeah I mean, exactly. we've, we've, we've chatted to folk in the past who've talked about, you know, getting a big break or, 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 or something having a big success and how much of that is luck, but then how much of that is also putting yourself out there to be able to be in a position to to create that luck or to or, totally. to, or, or to kind of benefit mm-hmm. from it happening. You know, you need, if you're not, if you're not out there, yeah, you know, was it you've got to be in it to win it? Is the really well? I think that's right, and I think say. no, but it's true. And I, I always say, you know, luck is what you make for yourself. Actually, yeah. Yeah. you know, yes, of course, not everyone doing the same thing, the same thing will happen to them. But ultimately, it's down to you to make your luck as well. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. So um, it seems crazy to ask this, but with truly dark, you can be just out. But what what's next on the horizon for you? So I think. Um, there's a lot of headspace that gets used up as your novel is coming out. And um, I had to take a pause as, as that was happening. Yeah. I intend to sit back writing away my next novel when the boys are back at school. Nice. And it's inspired by Manson. And it looks at the things we do for love. But of course, those things that we do for love aren't necessarily nice things. Nice. That sounds a bit intriguing. <laughs> I look forward to that. Thank you. <laughs> Excellent. What was the last book that you read? Um, I'm well. I'm currently reading Black Lake Manor by Guy Moore, oh, yeah. which is great. He's, as you, um, I'm sure you know, he's he's a brilliant writer of speculative crime fiction, and this is his second book, and it's it's very clever. It's about a killer that can turn back time. Excellent. Yeah, no, I have, we have heard about that. And yeah, that does sound yeah, good. Yeah, that sounds very good. Um, yeah. What about the last film that you watched? Oh, my golly. What was the last film I watched? You know what? I can't remember. I could do the last TV show. Yeah, Young yeah, we'll Sheldon. Take that. Young Sheldon. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> last night. And that was good. I love Young Sheldon. I'm a great fan of the Big Bang Theory. So it's really fun to watch that <laughs> but Excellent. sorry it's not quite as dark as some of the things I've no, sometimes you want obviously the light the, the light relief from the uh the horrible dark stuff that you're writing you need a bit of relief when yeah. you're in my brain yes definitely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well the very last thing we always do is a super quick fire either or and I always say there's no right answer apart from one but we'll start off with <laughs> <laughs> uh, we'll go for Jack Reacher or Hannibal Lecter and what to do, what with, to read or to, to meet? Well, that's okay. You're, that's, you're drilling down to a interpretation of what's going to be hasn't it? Because I mean, okay. okay. <laughs> uh, TV or cinema? TV, because I'm a bit nervous about COVID having had it. Mm, yeah, fair enough. Um, night owl or early bird? Early bird. I'm not a night owl at all. I'm very boring. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music or no music when you're writing? No music. Complete quiet. Um, and the last one, real book or ebook? Oh, real book. I have to hold a book in my hand. Uh, fortunately, that was the wrong answer. Is that the wrong answer? Why? Yeah. Why is I it don't know. Answer? We've got this stupid thing now where Tarek, I always see ebook answer. Is a big but... ebook advocate, so yeah. Um, yeah, I think I'm... because my I, I'm not well. I do love an ebook, but I've become this character now where I have to I fight ebooks corner because I also feel that nobody else fights ebooks corner, so I am the only one. That's because they're nice to books are nice to hold at your time. I'm just on the wrong side of it. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? If you're going on holiday, nothing beats an ebook. So well, yeah, don't try and crawl back into the ebook <laughs> side now. You've made oh, your bed. That's I, fine. I, I don't like them. I like to hold them. <laughs> no, I love to collect lovely books as well. And I yeah. have on my book, you know, being able to see the books on my bookshelves, I've loved yeah. almost we've always said that like i think a great idea would be to have you you buy the hardback book you have that on your shelf and you get the ebook for free with it 
so you can and the audio book and the audio book for free. Nice, that's very nice. Although you're clearly not trying to make money here for no, no, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not here. I'm just here from the from the reader's point of view. I'm not, I don't care about how much money they make. I love, I love a book, and I think as well, there's a relationship you have with a book when you're holding it. You do, you know, there's there's definitely more of a connection with the physical book. Well, thanks very much to Victoria for coming on to the podcast. I really appreciate her taking the time to do that. And um, I thought it was really interesting what she was saying about the planning process because it sounds like she's got quite a similar approach to me as I alluded to in the podcast there. And I, I, I need to have a pretty clear plan of where everything's going. It doesn't need to, and like she said, it doesn't need to be every single chapter planned out, but it, I want to know where I'm going because otherwise I worry that I'll get lost as I as I write it. Yeah, it's, it's, I know you're not quite the same. No, I I definitely like to have some idea of where I'm going and kind of points to hit. But I we said before, I get nervous that I get bored of if I if I know it too much, I, I kind of lose that spontaneity and a, and that boredom comes through in writing. So yeah, it's but then but then the flip side is that I end up writing myself into corners because I've not mm-hmm. planned enough. So it's that it's quite tricky to find the balance i think sometimes for me yeah no definitely i think that's true even if you are a planner because sometimes you can get stuck in the planning stage and yeah, some, totally. it, when it would be better actually just to start writing and yeah and I've, the I've, answer I've might find it itself spent far too long yeah. planning and not started and then also you, when even once you're writing something that you that you've planned suddenly you think actually yeah this this is has, has to go in a different path that i had thought of and yeah you know you're we are but slaves to the stories in our hearts Oh, that that was beautiful, Tarek. I, I think I'm going to get a poster made up, a page one poster, <laughs> quotes from Tarek, inspirational no quotes from Tarek. Right from the stories from your heart. We'll, we'll start selling those uh, on the website soon. <laughs> yeah. um, no, but uh, thanks to Victoria for coming on. Truly, darkly, deeply, obviously, as we say, is a massive success. It's now out, and uh, we'll put a link in the podcast description so you can buy that. We'll also put a link to her podcast. Um, and next week, we are uh, taking a step away from crime yeah, with our we're, guest. We're switching tracks a little bit to speculative sci-fi, fantasy, folklore stuff. A very interesting chat we have with Lorraine Wilson, who um, yeah, who kind of writes across a few genres. Um, and we chat about how, you know, not getting bogged into one category and and, yeah. and that kind of that kind of stuff. Which is well, really yeah, we, we ch- chat about that whole thing about, you know... <laughs> What is genre? How important is it? Yeah. Uh, you know, and and do writers actually think about it when they're actually writing yeah. their stories? Exactly. So yeah, it, it's a good, it's another good chat. So please do join us for that one. If you enjoyed this episode, please do take time to uh, rate and review us uh, on your podcast app and uh, like, follow, subscribe, and all of those things because that uh, continues to help us get some great guests on the podcast. And of course, if you'd like to get in touch, you can always drop us an email which is podcast at rightgear.co.uk or you can send us a tweet in the Twitter machine, which is at UK page one. But otherwise, have a great week and we'll see you next episode. See you later.